0: Welcome to Evergreen this morning. I'm so glad to be with you. My name's Ann. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the privilege to to have a conversation with you this morning. I'm looking forward to that. Um, But before we begin, I wanted to bring greetings from Jared, my husband, another one of the pastors here. He wanted me to say hello this morning and to invite you to pray. Uh, and we're going to pray together in just a moment um, for the church that he's at this morning. It's called New Hope. It is the church that Isaac Hovet is going to become the pastor of in one month's time. And so several of us are speaking on the weekends there for him in the interim. Um, and there is a church that he's leaving as well, Cottage Grove Faith Center. And next weekend will be the goodbye there. Um, which is very special for that church to have their time. So what I want to do is pray for both of those churches. It's a time of uncertainty for them. And uncertainty can build trust. Uncertainty can also um, create fear for some people. And so we really want to pray for both those churches this morning and just ask God to move and work in their lives through this and show them the amazing things that he has for them in, in these next steps, in these next days. So would you join me in praying? Jesus, we just want to say thank you that you're the Lord of the church. And Lord, as leader of the church, you are in charge of these transitions. And so, Lord, I pray that for the congregation at New Hope and at Cottage Grove Faith Center, that both of these congregations, these communities really, will put their trust in you. And Lord, that this would be a time where every anxious thought is directed toward you. Lord, where they would not worry about anything but pray about everything. And so, Lord, I pray that they would bring those anxious thoughts to you and they'd bring their fears to you and they'd bring their uncertainties to you and that in this time they would end up with a gift of faith for what you have in the future for them. That as they bring those to you, they would hear from you and they would hear words of promise and words, Lord, that encourage and words that instruct. And so we offer these two communities to you and entrust them to you, knowing that you love them even more than us. So thank you, Lord, for doing that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. And if you think about it, um, make that a part of your prayer over these next weeks as these churches go through their transition. Well, today is the last week in what has been a summer series called Little Story, Big Idea. And the, we were looking at the parables of Jesus. And of course, we didn't look at nearly all of them. We couldn't have exhausted that. That would be, take us a year. But I thought today's parable was particularly appropriate for Labor Day. Because it is the story of some workers. And it's all about the surprise they got at the end of their work day. A surprise delivered to them by their boss, the landowner. And some of them looked a lot like this little girl at the end of the day. That's not fair. Why does he get to have all the fun? Why did she get more than me? Does this sound familiar at all to any of you? (laughs) Have you heard those words? Maybe out of your own mouth, but maybe also out of your kid's your grandkids, um, just being around kids a little bit, and you can usually hear those words. But the thing is, if we're really honest today, are kids the only one who struggle with letting go of fairness and embracing grace? I don't think so. You know, Jared and I uh, have some friends, and from the time they were married, they had a fairness policy. And the way it worked is that if He got a new gun for hunting, then she got a new cello or a new guitar. Because, you know, if you're a musician, you cannot have too many of those. And this carried over, whether it was their stuff, whether it was their chores, or whether it was an experience, if he got to go hunting, then she got to go to a concert. And they would openly banter in front of us. She would be laughing if she was sitting here today. They would openly banter in front of us about which one of them was up next, you know, who was owed, who was next. Well, I'm happy to report they gave this up eventually in their marriage. It became a lot of work to keep track of, as you can imagine. But you know, early in our marriage, Jared and I had the privilege to visit, to take a tour of a home that was actually built um, by our friends, and it was built by them, for them. So they're kind of build it as they go, and it was finally done, and they took us on the tour, and we were brought to this library study. It was like... What I would, you know, like a dream one, all four walls were bookshelves. It even had, you know, the little ladder that rolls around. Okay, come on, yeah, a groan, you know, you really like that. And it was this wonderful library study. But I remember thinking, now I knew better than to say it out loud, right? But here's what I was thinking. Why is this library study wasted on someone who doesn't read or study much? (laughs) Why not us? Maybe you're nobler than I and have never thought such things. That's fairness. That's fairness. So Jared's not here today, and I wanted to illustrate fairness for you, fairness and grace in something that might be kind of memorable. So I have Rick Sawchuck to help me do that. Come on down. Could you guys give it up for Rick? He's going to help me. He's one of our pastors here. Okay, I brought... The motorhome that fits on your back this morning in honor of my husband's absence. And yes, this is, this is my pack. And um, I want to illustrate fairness and grace with this, and, and Rick's agreed to help me do it. So fairness is when you treat others in a way that doesn't give favor to one over another. Okay, treating others in a way that doesn't give favor over one over another. Okay, it's a lot like this. We're walking along trail, and I run into this guy, Rick, who's been carrying this pack, by the way, for about 20 minutes now. And he's getting kind of tired, and I don't have any load. So I say, hey, Rick, why don't we split that load, and we'll carry it together. Okay, so we open up the pack, and we start pulling it out. Every good hiker needs their carbs, right? Five pounds of flour. Oh, yeah, and we definitely need some energy. Ten pounds of sugar. You thought this was filled with nothing. Oh, wait, wait, wait. How did those get in there? One for each of us. That's a beautiful thing. And oh, oh, more carbs. Ten more pounds. If you backpack with this, you're crazy. Okay. And last but not least, five more pounds of carbs. Okay, I have 30 pounds plus two chocolate bars here. Fairness says, okay, Rick, there's your 10 pounds. And by the way, here's another five pounds. And there's your chocolate bar, even though I want to keep it for myself. Okay, let's continue on. And that's fairness. But what about grace? What does that look like? God's grace, his Unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. It's a lot more like this. Rick's gonna help me here. So this time you're walking along the trail, <laughs> and your trusty helper Rick is trying not to keep the treats. So fairness seeks to divide the load 50-50. And we know we don't carry a scale out on the trail. We just eyeball it and go, okay, that's about half your stuff. I'll take that and you take this. But when it comes to grace, God's undeserved favor, this is like I meet Rick on the trail and I don't have anything to carry. And I say, Rick, let me take that pack for you. Sure. And I put on that pack and we continue on the trail he and I, him with nothing on his back and me carrying the load for him. And that's grace. Could you give it up for Rick? <laughs> Woo! Well, here's the thing today that we want to walk out of here where it's not that fairness is bad. In fact, it kind of feels right. 50-50, Right. We split the load. It's not that fairness is bad. It's that grace is so much better. And if you walk out of the room without anything else today, and you really were convinced of that, that while fairness is okay, grace is so much better. And that's the lens we want to have. So every day, one of the first things I do is I put my glasses on, in the morning i leave them right by my bedside and i put them on because without them things look really blurry and having my glasses on changes my whole perspective on life on everything i see and the thing is our little story today it's about all about the lens that you and i use to view our life to view our life with god to view our life with one another and the big idea In this parable that we want to talk about today is this. That God sees you and me through the lens of grace, not fairness. And he wants us to do the same. He wants us to have the same lens. Because it's not that fairness is bad. It's that grace is so much better. Let's read in Matthew chapter 20, the first 16 verses. This fun little story. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Says this: For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard, and he agreed to, agreed to pay the normal daily wage, a denarius, by the way, and sent them out to work. And at nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace, which would have been a town square, and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard, and at noon. And again, at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. Now, at 5 o'clock that afternoon, one hour before closing, this would have been, he was in town again, and he saw some more people standing around. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. And the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers to arrive first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, they each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they, too, received a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them as much as you paid us who've worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I want to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Well, this story was a really familiar setting for Jesus' disciples, who happened to be the primary audience in this little story that he was sharing. Now, the workers were day laborers, without a regular job who showed up at the town square to get whatever work was available for the day. And the money offered them was the going wage for that kind of work. In other words, so far in our little story, everything is going according to plan. It's going just as the listeners thought it should go. But at the end of the day, when it's time to pay the workers, that's when the story takes a twist that nobody listening to this story except Jesus expected. Everyone is paid the same, regardless of when they arrived. This was upside down and inside out to everyone except Jesus. And Jesus uses three questions at the end of this little story to expose these listeners and us today to what they're really, what glasses they're really wearing fairness or grace. He wants them to see what, what, what are you using to look at life with others and with me with? And so he asked these questions. And question number one comes to us out of verse 13. It is this Didn't you receive what you were promised? Some of us call that a duh ha. Yeah, um, obviously, I received a day's wage. But let's pick it up in verse 10, where those hired first came to get their pay. And they assumed they would receive more. Did you notice that? That's what it says. They assumed they would receive more. Why did they assume they would receive more than what they had been promised? Because the ones who had worked a lot less had gotten the same as them. So what did they do next? They stomped their feet. They crossed their arms. And they said, that's not fair. Well, they kind of did a version of that. It says that they protested to the owner of the vineyard and compared that. And, And Jesus comes back to them and asks them this question. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? What's Jesus' point in this question? It's this, that God's grace gives us What he promised, according to his generosity, not our contribution. According to his generosity, not our contribution. Does anybody remember doing group projects at school? Maybe on the job as well. Okay, I had to put this up because this kind of sums up Maybe some of you are saying, I couldn't forget. I try to forget. It scarred me for life. But isn't this every group project complaint? Okay, the guy over here on the left does 99% of the work. The next one has no idea what's going on the whole time. The next guy says he's going to help, but he's not really going to help. And the last guy disappears at the very beginning and doesn't show up again until the very end. Tell me, have any of you had this group project experience? (laughs) Yes, it's, it's like the main complaint about group projects. Often, one or two people do most of the work, but we all get the same what? Grade. We all get the same grade. We all make a different contribution, and this is what really bugs us about it, right? We all made a different contribution, but we're all getting the grade attributed to the ones who did the most in that case in God's kingdom which is wherever he's in charge grace is given even though our stories or our contributions are different do you remember the 11th hour conversion of the rebel criminal who was on the cross there were two of them one on each side of Jesus as he was being crucified and one of them was hurling insults and stuff, but the other one began to really think, this, is, this guy is who he says he is. And he does this admission while he's hanging there on the cross by Jesus. He said, we're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man's done nothing wrong. And then he makes this audacious request of Jesus. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, No way, you slime ball. You're getting what you deserve. Not at all. That's not what Jesus says. He says something instead that's mind-bogglingly wonderful. He says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' view is always one of grace toward us, not of fairness. Late to the party, he'd say, you still get full benefits. And Paul describes this so well for us in a verse that many of us, excuse me, love in Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 8 and 9, says this, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So why did the workers hired last get the same as those who are hired at the first Because God wanted to pay them the same. That's who he is. That's who he is. And aren't you glad today? The landowner who represents God gave them all A's regardless of their contribution. That's God's grace. That brings us to question number two. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? In verse 15, he asks that. So these all-day workers felt entitled. That's what it means when you assume you deserve more than what you've been promised, isn't it? That's what entitlement's all about. They believed they were deserving more than what they were promised promised. In fact, even Jesus' closest followers kind of wrestled with this from time to time. And in fact, that's what started Jesus down this pathway on this story. That was the impetus for this story because Peter, the brave disciple who speaks for all the rest of them when they're all thinking what he's thinking, he just boldly goes out and say it. And here's what he says in just the previous few verses. He says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? It's not uncommon to say, what's in it for me? And here's what Jesus responds. He responds with a promise. He says, oh, man, you guys, it is going to be amazing. You're going to get a hundredfold, more than you can even imagine. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The very same way he ends this story. Because God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace. It's not a meritocracy. It's not an aristocracy. It's not a democracy. And it's not a labor union where seniority rules. You see, we, that's good news for us today. We can celebrate that. We can have our own party about that. Because if God's kingdom was a meritocracy, then it would be all about what you have earned and what you can do and what you can produce. And if it's an aristocracy, then it's all about who you know, which family you were born into, and did you happen to be born into the right one? In the right socioeconomic level with the right background? And if it's a democracy, well, then it's the will of the majority that's going to decide the favor, the grace that you receive in your life. And I personally am glad that the favor that I've received has not been determined by a vote of all of you. And you would feel the same, I think. And then there's the labor union, the seniority idea that those who've been longer will receive more, right? have rights that others don't, that your seniority determines your favor, but that's not. God is the landowner in our story, and an owner can give whatever he wants to whoever he wants, and God gives according to his grace, not what we feel we deserve or that we're owed. Now, we all have experiences, right? Tipping waiters and waitresses and serving. Yeah. Yeah, restaurants, and I just want to know, we many of us have probably tipped when service was great, but how many of you um, tip regardless of what the service is like? Oh, man, I love seeing all those, yeah, all that uh, grace across the room. Well, Mackenzie and Steve were a couple going for their wedding anniversary dinner, and they were going to celebrate at a new restaurant in their town of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and Just a few adjectives. What do you think is important? On an anniversary dinner, what are you usually looking for? Adjectives, phrases. What are you usually looking for in a place to have dinner for your anniversary? Romantic. Romantic. That's always the first one mentioned. Somebody else. Good food, food. yeah. Somebody else. Good Good service, yeah. Basically, aren't you looking for like kind of a, top-notch experience. He wanted to be really special. And Mackenzie and Steve were not any different in that regard. So according to Mackenzie, who posted her experience on Facebook, the service sucked. Her word, not mine. It took 20 minutes for them to get water. It took 40 minutes for them to get their appetizer. And it took an additional over an hour. She didn't really stipulate past that. Over an hour to get their entrees. Okay, people all around them in the restaurant were talking about it. We're talking about the terrible service and the fact that it was taking forever. So let's pause for a moment. I just want to know how many of you would even have stayed long enough to get your entree if it was taking that long on your anniversary. Oh, we have some, these are the heroes in the the patience war right there. That's awesome. But Mackenzie and... Steve both used to wait tables. So they began to look around and notice that their server had 12 tables assigned him, which was a lot. And that in spite of the fact that he wasn't real speedy, he was always polite. And having uh, both been servers before, they really empathized with this situation. They thought, you know what? Tonight we need to leave a little something extra and encourage this guy. And so that night, they left a tip of $100 for their $66.65 dinner, which amounts to a 150% tip. Now, Mackenzie didn't mention the name of the restaurant or the server in her post on Facebook because she didn't want to call anybody out. And she really wasn't looking for an at a girl, pat on the back type thing. Instead, she was wanting to post a friendly reminder to everybody that a little kindness goes a long way. Now, to date, her post has received over 1.5 million likes and over 1,400 comments from others, mostly positive. And what it really suggests to all of us and reminds all of us is that our world, that our families, that our co-workers, that our friends, that our neighbors are longing for grace. On their worst day... No, even especially when they feel like they haven't really measured up. People are longing for grace to be extended toward them. So it's not our contribution, and it's not what we think we deserve that feed God's grace in our life. Question number three is this, and it's the second part of verse 15. Jesus asks this third question. Should you be jealous that I'm kind to others? Another translation says, Are you envious because I'm generous? Or do you begrudge my generosity? I found comparison kind of comes naturally for most of us. We compare things all the time. We compare how we look, we compare our parenting approaches, we compare what we've acquired. And okay, at my stage in life, we compare how we've aged, um, we compare how we've performed, and we compare socioeconomic status and we compare country of origin and the list of how we compare each other with ourselves could go on for a long time but comparison is ultimately at the root of a fairness view of life and these all-day workers are jealous of what the other workers have gotten simply because they got more for their le- for less work Because of the comparison that they made. Here's another way of saying it. What I, I was fine with what I received until I heard what you received. Have you ever struggled with this? I was fine with what you had until, I was fine with what I had until I saw what you have. So social media can really feed some of this comparison. Um, For those of you who really enjoy that. And there's been a lot of studies done on it, and there was a study done this past year of 736 college students in the Midwest who spent an average of two hours a day on Facebook. And these students were asked to rate how much they agreed with these statements that are linked to feelings of envy, such as, I generally feel inferior to others, or it somehow doesn't seem fair that other people have so much fun or have all the fun. And then the same participants were asked to rate phrases um, that corresponded to depression, such as, I was bothered by things that usually don't bother me, or I talked less than usual. And the conclusion of this study and many others, while it's found many wonderful things about Facebook, these studies showed that it can increase jealousy and or depression in people. But here's the deal today. The danger in blaming my jealousy or my envy on an outside source is that that would be wrong because jealousy and envy don't come from an outside source. They come from within. And other people and their story are not the source of my envy or my jealousy. This comes from you and I wearing our fairness glasses instead of God's generous grace classes. Because grace celebrates God's goodness in others' lives without comparison. They go take a tour of somebody's house and see a room that you would dream of having, and you're happy for them without thinking those thoughts. Grace cheers on others' success without regard for what's going on in your story. And grace gives to others without keeping score of what you've received. So most of us have people or situations where we struggle to embrace grace and let go of fairness. May I share mine with you today? Christian leaders, I have high expectations for us, and I say us because I am one of them. So here's how my fairness glasses work when I think about situations with Christian leaders. A pastor is given even greater leadership responsibilities following his divorce, and I wonder, why was he chosen instead of another skillful leader with a healthy marriage? Or, I hear about a pastor's spouse who is unfaithful in his or her marriage, and they're launched back into ministry in what I consider a relatively short time. And in my mind, what I'm thinking is, This person needs to be out of pastoral ministry for a long time, maybe permanently. And by the way, Anne, how long would be long enough, and who decides how long? Now you're getting my conversation with God when I have these fairness glasses on. And then a leader abuses his power, and he uses it to control people and to create fear in other people. And I question God, and I say, why do you allow this person to continue with great prominence when he has hurt so many people because of his own early painful story. Recently, I had the opportunity to extend grace to somebody, to take their backpack for them. But I didn't do that. Instead, I grabbed a nice big rock and with some Ill spoken words, I added that to their backpack and let them continue on in their journey. I made their whole week different, more of a burden, more wearisome, less encouraging. I could have extended grace, but instead I added to their backpack. You see, in the end, grace is not about comparisons. Grace is not about contribution. And grace is not about worthiness. It's far more generous. And it's for everyone, including leaders. So what about you today? How do you respond to God's goodness in other people's lives And what glasses have you had on lately in the relationships that you have with your spouse? Maybe you've got your own fairness policy going, like my friends did. How about with your kids? Are you wearing the glasses of grace or the glasses of fairness? How about with political candidates and campaigns? Are you wearing the glasses of grace are the glasses of fairness? How about with your siblings? Even as adults, we have relationships with our siblings, right? Some pretty interesting ones, in fact. How about with your friends? What are the glasses you have on? Or your employer? Or your neighbor? What about yourself? What glasses are you wearing as you look at yourself? Are you beating yourself up with your latest shortcoming? Not able to embrace grace for you? That's not based on your performance. That's not based on what you deserve. That's better than all of that. Or maybe you have yet to experience grace in your relationship with God. You know, maybe you've pursued Buddhism's eightfold path. Or perhaps you've embraced Hindu's idea of karma. And that's kind of what you've let guide your life. Or maybe it's a Muslim code of conduct that you've subscribed to or tried out. Or perhaps it's Judaism's covenant of laws and agreements. Or any of the many other attempts of the world's religions to get us to earn our way to God and into a relationship with God. But today could be your day to let go of the backpack. It could be your day to embrace grace in your life. Because ultimately, Jesus' little story about grace has to do with our eternal destiny. Will we spend it with him? So let me suggest a what if for all of us. What if when Jesus returns, many people who've spent their life thumbing their nose at God or resisting or persecuting or working against anyone who loves him? What if those same people surrender to him? What if God decides to be even more generous with his grace than you and I can fathom? And he finds a way to welcome those people who have gone their own way for so long. That person you've been praying for. The one you've about you've given up on many times. What if... Because isn't that his decision to make? Doesn't he get to draw the boundaries for his grace? And why wouldn't you and I want him to be as expansive as possible, more than we've imagined, more than I in my little finite human brain could even understand them to be? Jared's missing a lot today. You see, God's grace carries the whole backpack for you and I, not just half the load, carefully measuring out 50 50 to make sure that it's fair. God wants everyone to finish, and He knew we wouldn't make it without His grace. And He wants you and I to show others the same grace. That we've been shown. And the question for us today is where do you need to let go of fairness? In what relationship do you need to let go of fairness and embrace grace? So Marley and the band are going to play this amazing song called How Can It Be? And I picked this song because it's a personal exclamation and declaration about the amazing grace of God that has been given to each one of us. And here's the picture that I had from the Lord. was just, how could we change our lens? How do we change our glasses? I know how to put on different set of glasses. I know how to get a new prescription when it comes to these. But how do I get my view changed if I'm thinking fairness all the time? And here's what he said. Come to me and remember my grace in your life. And it will compel you to give grace to others. Come to me.